All right, so here's where we're at. Uh, today I want to look at Advent. Advent. It's a beautiful, uh, really Christian tradition that's been celebrated in a lot of different denominations for, for hundreds of years. Um, and it's something I want to explore and talk about. So the title today is Advent, God Came and God is Coming. Advent, God Came and God is Coming. I'm not sure what you think of when you hear the word Advent. Uh, for years, when I would hear that word Advent, I thought of this. I thought of an Advent calendar. Um, we didn't really celebrate Advent in my home. I didn't really know what that was, but I knew what an Advent calendar was. I mean, this was like the highlight every morning from December 1st to December 24th. You could get a piece of chocolate. And in my mind, I knew that uh, chocolate was coming. There was an arrival of chocolate. That's probably why I am the way I am is because I ate chocolate every morning, every December for many years. Not, not, not a good idea. Um, but Advent, Advent calendar, that's kind of what we know it for. But what is Advent? Um, Advent is a way for us to slow down and to take in this moment of how God entered earth. God broke into humanity. God entered his creation. It's a way for us to celebrate what Christ brought when he entered in. This idea of peace, love, hope, joy. We want to celebrate and remember all that God brought in. Um, usually Advent is celebrated in this way. It's right after Thanksgiving, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, there would be four candles the church would light, and the candles were one for hope, one for peace, one for love, one for joy. And so that's why last week we gave you a little goodie bag with candles, and we want you to light those, but to remember the fact that when Jesus came, he was hope incarnate, meaning he was hope embodied. He came to bring peace and love and joy. And this is a season where it's not just like this, these concepts of hope, peace, love, and joy, but hope, peace, love, and joy is a person. It means so much more for us than it does for the world because we believe that those things have come in a person, and his name is Jesus. And so really Advent is a way for the church to take four Sundays leading up to this great arrival of Jesus's birth. And we want to just look at this uh, today, like what is Advent? What does it entail? What does it encompass? What does it embody? Uh, what does it mean that we prepare our hearts for Jesus' arrival that already happened and for his future arrival? God came and God is coming. And so we want to explore this a little bit more with you guys uh, and talk about this more in depth. So um, I just hope you kind of set those things aside and prepare your hearts for this. Um, this really is a moment for us to, as a family with some friends, and maybe you are alone, I would just encourage you to even call some people and just talk through this message right after. Uh, but this is a time for us to slow down Remember the birth of Jesus, that there were a select group of people who are looking and waiting for that moment, but it also creates within us a longing for the future coming of Jesus. And we, we hope and pray that there's more people looking for his second coming than there was for his first coming. There'd be more people expectant and ready for the second advent of Christ, this advent of this idea of his arrival or coming. So the idea of advent is this, uh, advent just means the one who is on his way, an arrival or coming. It's something where you look forward to, and you're, you're longing to be in the presence of someone great, their arrival, their coming. And so uh, I just want to read a story of, of a guy named Simeon and, and a prophetess named Anna who were waiting for and ready for the coming of Jesus. There were a couple of people, a handful of people, who were ready for the first advent. And I think we can learn a lot from them to prepare our hearts for this Advent, to remind ourselves of Jesus' birth, but also to prepare our hearts for the second Advent of Christ. So if that makes sense, just stay with me. We're going to be in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. Uh, let's just read the text as a whole, and then we'll pray over it. But Luke 2, verse 22, the story of Simeon and Anna and their uh, expectation of, of the Messiah, of the Christ. So Luke 2, verse 22, it says, Now, when the days of 
her purification, Mary, Jesus' mother. Uh, now, when the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, were completed, they brought Jesus to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Uh, in the law, the idea was that when you gave birth to your firstborn male, when you gave birth to your, your child, uh, on the eighth day, the day of their circumcision, you would go and prepare them, uh, show them before the Lord. And you'd either offer like a lamb or a goat if you were wealthy, or if you're poor, you'd offer two pigeons or two turtle doves. And so Mary and Joseph being young, they, in this example, they were poor. And, but they're going, they're obedient. This is not bad, they're offering this. This is beautiful. They're obeying the law of God. They're offering their child to the Lord. They're saying, God, this, this, is, this son is truly yours. And so verse 25, and so they bring him to the temple. It says, verse 25, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he, Simeon, took Jesus up in his arms and he blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also that through the through thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. Uh, we're going to look at more of this prophecy that Simeon speaks into Mary on Thursday, how he'll divide people, he'll divide even her heart. We'll look at that more on Thursday night. Verse 36, it says, Now there was one, Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was of great age and lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And this woman was a widow of about 84 years. She was old. Uh, she did, who did not depart from the temple. She never left. But she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. Verse 38, and coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for the redemption in Jerusalem. Simeonana, two people who were expectant, who had this, uh, this idea uh, that Christ would come in their time, in their generation. They were ready for the first advent. And my hope and prayer is that we can prepare our hearts for Jesus' birth, for this season, what it means to truly embrace uh, this idea of God has entered earth and also to prepare our hearts for the second advent. So why don't we just take a second, pray, invite the Lord to speak again at your home right now. Why don't you just set some things aside? Just give some room for the Lord to move and work. Prepare your hearts. Let every heart prepare him room. Uh, we want to do that. And we want to give the Lord some room and time to move and work. So just take a second. Let's pray and just invite the Lord here. Father, we just thank you. We thank you for the time to study your word. God, we thank you for the time to worship you, to sing to you, to celebrate you. Jesus, I, I ask that um, even though we're in homes, we're not together as one body, we are still one body, that Jesus, you are the head, that this is your church, 
And Jesus, I ask that you would truly do something within homes, within families, within friend groups. God, that you would um, create this longing and this expectation and excitement around the arrival of you, God, that you dwelt among us. Lord, help us truly embrace all that this means. Let this do something radical to our hearts, that this would not just be some songs we hear in the mall here and there, or just some, some music we like on the radio. Jesus, let the truth of Advent just pierce our hearts. God, do something unique in this moment. God, bring good dialogue around uh, this topic. Jesus, create within us a longing for you and your coming, we ask Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. Amen. You know, Advent really is a, a season where you're preparing your hearts and kind of allowing the Lord to bring like this buildup of an anticipation and excitement for just the reminder of Jesus's birth, for the excitement of his second Advent, his second coming. It's supposed to create within us like a longing for it. It's to create within us this deep, deep desire for it. You know, I remember when Kimber and I, my, my wife, first started dating, we're in high school, and I remember when she first started coming over to my house, like I remember the excitement of her coming over and me like running around the house and running around my room and picking up everything and throwing things in the closet. And like, my room was a mess even when she was there, but sh you sh should have seen it before she got there. My, I just remember the, the excitement of like, oh my gosh, she's coming. Like she's coming to my place. I got to clean things up. There is that excitement, you know, of, of her arrival to my home. I see this within my kid's eyes. If we take my two-year-old, my almost two-year-old and my five-year-old to Disney, I see when the parade's coming and Mickey's coming down the road. And it's like, it's Mickey! And I, I see that excitement of Mickey's arrival of his coming. You know, the famous movie, The Elf, when Will Ferrell yells, it's Santa! Like, just that excitement. You know, we see that in this season of someone's great arrival. I remember for me, like, the pinnacle of this, uh, I was about 16 years old, and I was at a, a basketball camp in, uh, in Southern California, and they said, hey, listen, Paul Pierce is coming. Do you want to watch his private workout and maybe even participate? And if you don't know, Paul Pierce was, like, playing for the Boston Celtics, and they, like, won a championship. I'm like, of course I would love to be a part of this. And it's at 7 p.m. And I got there at 6. I got there early and 6.30 rolls around 7, 7.30, 8, 9. Around 10 o'clock, I, I went home. He never came. But I remember that excitement and anticipation of someone you love, you, you respect, like their arrival is coming. The whole idea of this Advent is this, there's a true excitement to this arrival. Christians all around the world celebrate Advent to say, Christ came and Christ is coming. I mean, this is a big deal. We're, we make a really big claim as Christians. Do we get that? We're saying God entered earth. God took on creation. Like God took on the human body. That's a big deal. I mean, that changes history. That changes, you know, BC to AD. That changes everything. And so this is one of those defining moments for mankind, for us as individuals, as the church, where we go, Lord, prepare our hearts for this Advent season, how Jesus came and he's coming. And, and so here's what I want to look at, because if you've ever studied uh, Advent or you looked at it, or maybe you're new to this whole idea of what is Advent. Like I grew up in the church my whole life, but never really kind of embraced this Christian tradition. Um, there's really three big components or three spiritual postures to take on when it comes to Advent. So I want to encourage our church with this. From the story of Simeon and Anna, when it comes to Advent, there's three spiritual postures we are to take on, three mindsets to have, three attitudes to embrace. And here's what those things are. It is waiting, it is receiving, and it is longing. And I want to break this down slowly, but let that kind of sink in. Advent embodies the, this posture, of the, a posture of waiting, a posture of receiving, and a posture of longing for what is to come. And so let's just let the Lord kind of let that, I don't know, simmer in our heart a little bit. Here's the first point, waiting. 
waiting. Uh, Advent was to create within us a spirit of waiting, of watching. A better word might be expectation or even preparation. You know, we wait with expectation. We wait with anticipation. We, we wait in a watchful sort of a way. You know, I have a love-hate relationship with like this idea of anticipation. Do you ever have that feeling of like you cannot wait for something? Like I love the feeling of anticipation, even as a kid on Christmas Day. Like Christmas Day was great, but it's almost the, the memories of it was like the anticipation of that day to come. There's something about anticipation that's beautiful and good. There's something about some anticipation that I really don't like. You know, when it comes to us um, trying to meet again in person at Quiet Waters Elementary, it's been over nine months. There's like anticipation, but like, when will this happen? How will this happen? Lord, please bless the Broward School District and the school district in general to embrace churches again. Like, I have this anticipation, uh, not so much in the positive way, but in that like, when will this happen? Uh, but when it comes to Advent, there's anticipation in this, you're, you cannot wait for it to come. If you've ever sat in a meeting with your boss and you're like, what is this meeting about? That's like a bad maybe anticipation. Am I going to get fired? Is this going to be a good meeting, bad meeting? Anticipation can go either way. But Advent is to create this anticipation of expectation, of excitement, of joy. It's good news, great joy, all people. And Advent was to create this idea of like, I cannot wait for this moment to come. And see, Simeon and Anna had this heart posture of waiting. Read with me. It's Luke chapter 2, verse 25. I want to read the sentence again to you, the phrase. It says this, Simeon, this man, this godly man, it says he was just and devout, waiting, waiting. Circle that word in verse 25 or underline it. Waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. I love this. Simeon had this posture of waiting. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. Now, what does that mean? Um, it, this, in Isaiah, it uses this word consolation a lot, a lot. It's another word maybe for comfort, but he was waiting for the comfort of Israel. Isaiah talks about how there will be a comforter to come. There will be one who brings this, this great consolation, this great comfort. There's several prophecies with that word consolation, and there are many people who are waiting for this consolation of Israel where God would actually comfort the, the hearts of men. And think about that. Uh, there's actually a Jewish prayer that um, Jews would pray a lot of times. They'd go like this. They'd say, God, may I see the consolation of Israel. There was this prayer of God, I want to see that moment come. I want to see the consolation of Israel. And Simeon was, was that man. He, he prayed that prayer. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. And I don't want to just pass, pass over his character. I mean, notice his character. He was just he was devout. It's very similar language used to like describe Abraham, how when Abraham, when God saw Abraham and he saw his righteousness in him, it's, it's very similar in that kind of language where God saw something in Simeon. God saw this character. He was just, he was justified before God. He's righteous before God. He's also passionate about God. He wasn't just someone who's forgiven, which is beautiful, but he's also passionate. He was devout to God. I, I believe so often that God builds our character through waiting and we got to take on this posture of waiting because like Simeon, he waited and God, just, God produced, I believe, a lot of character within him in that season of waiting. If you're in a season of waiting right now, God brings a lot of character building to that if you allow him, if you wait the right way, if you wait with expectation, anticipation, if you wait with a sense of God's going to come, God's going to draw near, God's going to answer our prayers. I mean, this was happening to Simeon and God answered his prayer. So my question is this, though, like what was Simeon waiting for? He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, but what was he waiting for? Listen, he was essentially waiting for the Messiah. Now think, think about this with me. Uh, we, this is what we'd call, between Simeon and the last book of the Bible, which would be Malachi, 
So between the Old Testament, what we call to the New Testament, the Old Covenant to the New Covenant, this idea of there's 400 years of prophetic silence. Like God spoke through so many prophets, so many prophets of old. Malachi being the last, and Malachi even being the prophet that's saying, listen, the Messiah is going to come, and he's going to come to you in Bethlehem. So Malachi promises the Messiah, Malachi 5.2, he promises how the Messiah would come to Bethlehem. And then there's just 400 years of silence from God. I mean, and during that time, a lot happened, obviously. You know, they're being, Rome by, they're being ruled by Rome. Before that, they're ruled by the Greeks. I mean, you know, you have the book of Maccabees that were written in there and kind of more of like, it's like a history of what kind of happened to the Jewish people. But the point is, when it comes to God speaking to his people in a prophetic way through the prophets, there was 400 years of crickets, of silence. The last thing they heard is, listen, the ruler will come to you out of Bethlehem. And they're just waiting and waiting. I mean, during that time, they're being ruled by, like I said, the Greeks, the Romans, they're being abused, tortured. I mean, you can read the book of Maccabees, how violent it got, how disturbing it got. They were being oppressed, completely, truly enslaved. I mean, violence that you and I haven't seen. I mean, you, you imagine that the anticipation and expectation of God deliver us, like get us out of here, get us out of this mess. Where's the Messiah? Where's the one to come? There is probably this deep, deep longing. And within a select few, they didn't lose hope. You could imagine after a few hundred years, you might lose hope or going, God, where, what's going on? But for 400 years, you, have, you had a select group of people waiting and watching and looking for the coming of the Messiah. And Simeon was that, and Anna was that. People who were like expecting the arrival people who knew God's word. Peter actually talks about this in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, verse 10. Let me read it to you. You can turn there, write this down. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says, concerning this salvation, the salvation we have, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours, they searched and inquired carefully. They searched the scriptures carefully, inquiring what person or, or time. All right, um, so I would, here's where I was at. They were waiting they were waiting for the Messiah, and they were wondering what manner or what time the Messiah would come. So stay with me. There was prophets of old going, we know the Messiah is coming, but how is he coming? In what way is he coming? We know he'll be coming from Bethlehem. But you know, they had, they had these verses in Daniel 7 and Daniel 9 that talked about how the Messiah would come, when he would come. They had the 77's prophecies. They, they had some specific prophecies that said, we know in this time frame, the Messiah should be cut off after the 69 seven-year periods. And if you're wondering what that is, go read Daniel 7. My, my point is, there were people who studied the word of God very, very carefully and going, we know that the Messiah should be coming around this time. And Simeon was one of those. Now, they didn't know exactly how God would come or how God would come to them in the the person the Messiah. You know, if you, if you know just any, if you have any Jewish friends, if you know anything about maybe Orthodox Judaism, no one really believes the Messiah would be God himself. They didn't actually believe that God would take on physical form. They knew the Messiah would be special, unique, anointed by God, that maybe even speak on behalf of God, but not God himself. And why the story is so impactful and so powerful is that they knew the story in Isaiah 7 that talks about the virgin shall give birth. And in their mind, it's a young woman. We would argue it's truly a virgin would give birth. And this is what uh, Matthew talks about. Matthew, being a Jew, quotes from Isaiah 7 in Matthew 1 and says this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And he's quoting from Isaiah 7. So here's the point. Matthew, a Jew, says, listen, maybe we've read this wrong the, the whole time. This woman is going to give birth to a son. This young woman, according to the Jews, but he goes, no, no, a virgin. 
She's gonna give birth to a son. His name will be called Emmanuel, God with us. You see, Jews had this idea that God would be with their people in that figurative sense. Like God's with us. We know God's with us. But do they know this in this Emmanuel sense that God is truly with us? You see, there's this idea that God is truly with us. God dwelt among us. I mean, the reason why this is such a big deal is think about God's not just with us in a figurative sense, like, hey man, God's with you. The story of Jesus, the story of Christmas tells you and I that God is truly with us, like he walked among us. God entered creation. The incarnation, I've said this before, but think of carne asada, right? Uh, Just think of like different meat. Uh, Incarnation, God took on meat. The idea of incarnation, God took on flesh. God took on meat. God walked among us. And this was a life-changing, world-changing, altering event to say that God actually walked among his people. And there's prophets who go, we know he'll come in Bethlehem, but in what manner will he come? How will he come? (coughs) And there was this idea that, no, God came actually to live and dwell among us. And this is completely life-changing. Now, if you're one of those people that say, Josiah, I could never truly believe this. How could I ever believe that God came and dwelt among us? Like, I can't believe that. Like, it's hard for me to idea that God, like, dwelt among us. This teaching is difficult for me. The virgin birth, maybe you've heard, talked to people and they go, I don't, there's no way I believe in a virgin birth. That goes against every, everything. That goes against science. That goes against reason. There's no way that there's such a thing as a virgin birth. Listen, we, we got to start uh, with something from the lesser to the greater. Um, I truly believe, obviously, that God spoke the world to existence, meaning there's a God. I believe there's a God. I believe that God created everything. Um, if there's a God who created everything, who created the laws of physics, who created how life works, it's no big thing for God to come as a baby. If God created everything, which I believe, of course, he did. I think if you go, man, well, God, I don't believe in God. I think you have a bigger problem on your hands, to be honest. Matter doesn't just create itself. Matter doesn't just create matter. There had to be something eternal. There had to be something outside of matter, and that is God, who is spirit. And I fully believe that God, listen, if God spoke the world into existence, which he did, if God's the creator and author of everything, the idea of a virgin birth is pretty easy for me to take on. The idea of God becoming a man, listen, God can do whatever he wants. He's God. And so I have this mindset of, listen, God came in, and it wasn't how people expected. What manner would he come? Like, how would he come? They, they knew he was coming. They had the idea. They had kind of even maybe the time frame, according to Daniel. But they're like, but we're not really sure how this will look. And Matthew, in his gospel, writes, no, it is truly Emmanuel, which means God is with us. God walked among us. Now, um, this should cause within everyone, everyone, an extreme response. We make a really big claim. This should cause you to either fall on your knees and worship Jesus as God, or you should say, this is crazy. I want nothing to do with this. How could you claim that Jesus is God? But the whole idea of the incarnation, it doesn't allow like a neutral response. It doesn't. The idea of Christmas, Christmas isn't about, it isn't even about trying to reveal that God exists. It's about saying that God came near. And so Christmas, this idea of the incarnation, Advent, Christ's arrival, it should create within us an extreme response. You either go, either Jesus is who he said he is, or this is just mad and craziness and we're wasting our time. But you, you can't be really neutral. If you've been neutral about it, I would ex- ask you and beg you, implore you to explore it more, explore this concept more, that Jesus is God among us, God who is with us. And this is one of those things where, again, I don't know if we fully appreciate what this means for us. You know, think about how God revealed himself in, in the Old Testament. Like when you read about different stories and ways God revealed himself, I mean, when it came to Abraham, God revealed himself as like a smoking fire, like in a furnace. 
God revealed himself to Moses in a burning bush or remember in the mountain, he put him in the cleft of the mountain and he passed before Moses and Moses saw his glory. It's just too much for Moses. You think about how Job, God appeared to Job in this whirlwind. Like God would come down in pretty dramatic ways, you know, a fire by night for the nation of Israel. I mean, God would come to people and reveal himself in just really dramatic ways. And here's the story of Christmas that God presents himself as, as a vulnerable baby. That God presents himself not as this fire, not as a tornado, not as his glory that would just crush us if we even looked upon him. He, he presents himself. We beheld his glory, that of the only begotten of the Father, John 1.14. We beheld his glory. I mean, I can't imagine Moses going, everything I wanted to see, you get to see. Everything I wanted to see, I got to see his glory pass before me, but that's nothing compared to seeing Jesus, holding Jesus, being with Jesus, beholding Jesus. Like God dwelt among us. God made himself vulnerable. God put himself in a position to say, I know what human suffering is like because I suffered. I know what it's like to lose a loved one because I lost many people who I love. The, the point being that God can relate to us so much more now because of the story of Christmas, because of this advent, because of his coming, because of his arrival. I mean, this should change everything. This changes how we do relationships, how we do life. We go, listen, God dwelt among us. God can sympathize with me. God can understand me. God is walking with me. I'm not alone in this moment. This story of Christmas reminds us, though, of just how we prepare ourselves for God's arrival and for God's coming. And, and here's why this is so important. When I say there's three components, there's three spiritual postures when it comes to Advent, and the first one being waiting. Listen, every Christian has a season of waiting. Like, I, I want us to embrace this. Maybe you are in a season of waiting. It's, it's painful at times. If you've ever been in a season of waiting, going, God, what are you, what are you doing here? Why am I in this moment? God, are you going to provide in a job, a career? Are you going to provide with my spouse? God, my spouse and I, we're not sure what to do in this moment. How do we do this? Maybe you're in a season of waiting. Um, in this season of waiting, this is when God can move so powerfully. How do we posture our hearts? How do we wait well? How do we do what Anna did? How do we serve while we wait? How do we give ourselves fully over to the plan of God while we're in that season of waiting? Here, here's the idea. It's, it's easy for Simeon and Anna to feel this moment like God's forgotten us. God, where are you? You said the Messiah would come in Bethlehem. It's been 400 years. Maybe you feel forgotten in the season of waiting. Maybe you feel like God doesn't care. I mean, Anna, she lost her husband. She was without a husband for over 80 years. She was just going, God, you, you give me a husband just to take him away that quickly? Like, God, what are you doing? You could have seen with, with Simon and Anna, it would have been easy for them to lose hope. It would have been easy for them to just get, give up. But they waited with this joy. They waited with this expectancy. They, they postured themselves in, in a way where the Lord says, I honor the way you're waiting. There's a way to wait. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 25 says, the Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Hear, hear that. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. There's a way to wait. In your waiting, there's a way to seek him. There, <clears throat> there's a, a way to serve him, to serve him with his heart posture. If you are in a season of waiting, don't despise that season. Simeon and Anna were in that season and God rewarded them greatly for waiting well. And I would say, wait well. Wait in a way where you have this joy, this peace, this Jesus, you're gonna be faithful to your word. They waited well. You know, one of my, my favorite verses, and it's weird, people go, what's your life verse? I might have mentioned this, but for me, it is Psalm 27. I don't know if I have like a life verse because I have like a, season, a seasonal verse. Like every season, like depends on the season I'm in. But the, I guess the overarching theme in my, my life that I love, I just cling to, is Psalm 27, 13, and 14, where, where the author, where David writes, I would have lost heart 
unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait, of, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. I mean, that has meant so much to me in different seasons of my life. But just that call of, hey, I would have lost heart unless I believed that I would see what? The goodness of the Lord. This idea of waiting in, in a way that I'm going to wait on the Lord and, and I'm going to be of, of just good heart. And just this call to wait. I mean, listen, every Christian that I know, every solid Christian, every solid marriage, every, every Christian that's kind of endured it, they've waited really well. And I would say wait well. We wait with expectation. Verse 26 says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. I love that. You see this intimacy between Simeon and God and between Simeon and the Holy Spirit. The Lord has confirmed to him different things in his life. And I would say this, maybe the Lord's confirmed different things to you. And you're like, God, I thought you promised this. I thought you confirmed this to me. I thought you placed this in my heart for a reason and what's going on here. And I would just say, wait, wait patiently, wait on the Lord. Uh, Isaiah 49, 23 says, those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. You know, it's hard. It's one of those things where I can't answer when or how. Again, the prophets didn't know exactly when or how. But the idea was what this advent creates within us. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to be put to shame. Listen, in this, this season of Advent Church, um, God wants us to take on a posture of waiting and of waiting well. And I would say, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. You'll not be put to shame if you wait on him. Uh, the Lord, as the Lamentations, is good to those who wait on him. I would say right now, there might be a season where God's like, just wait on me. Like Anna, serve me while you wait. Like Simeon, be in the temple, be in the presence of God, be in community while you wait. And, and I think this applies to so many, if not all of us, that if whatever that thing is, maybe you're waiting for a prodigal to come home, you're waiting for a restored relationship, you're waiting to have that tough conversation with someone, you're waiting for whatever that thing is. I would say, wait, well, serve, be in the temple, be in the presence of God. Don't be isolated. Don't be alone. Don't be cut off. Simeon and Anna just want to be in the presence of God and be with other people who also looked for the redemption of Israel. Wait well. Uh, those who wait on him will not be put to shame. Church, I would love to see in this Advent season take on a posture of waiting. Amen? Like, take on this posture of waiting. This is huge. Number two is this. The second posture we see within Simeon and Anna is this idea of receiving. Receiving. Here, here's the verse. I think it's hilarious. Verse 28. Simeon sees Jesus. Verse 28 says, and he took him up in his arms and blessed God. I just love that. Here's Mary and Joseph walking to the temple like, where are we? We got to get the turtle doves and offer him. And Simeon just sees baby Jesus and steals baby Jesus from his parents. He just takes him. He took him up in his arms. And I, I don't know why I just love that. I wonder if Mary's like, who is this guy? Like, this, does he know who he's holding? This is my, like, not only are you a mom and going, this is my baby and mama bear can come out, but it's like, this is the son of God, man. And Simeon like knows and he holds him up and it just turns into worship. And I love this moment of just receiving Jesus. He sees Jesus. He goes, salvation has come. And he just, he worships him. Uh, this is what's been called historically, this idea of, of, of Simeon's worship song. If you notice, he just breaks out into worship. It's called the Nunc Dimitis. Uh, uh, it's in Luke 2, verse 29 through 32. But this is actually used in a lot of different Christmas songs or different hymns from back in the day. Uh, it's just the nunc dementis just means now, Lord. It's what he said essentially right away in verse 29. He's like, Lord, now or now, Lord. It's just him busting up into worship. And, and here's obviously what I see with this. When you've received Jesus, um, you can't help but worship. Like when you truly see Jesus, when, when you truly embrace who he is and what he's done, you can't help but receive him into your arms and worship and sing. Like church, those who are worshipers of Jesus are those who've received Jesus. I would say if you've received Jesus, really received him, received him in this kind of way, like Simeon, 
with joy, with gladness, for salvation has come. My eyes have seen the salvation of the Lord, like it says. If you've truly received the Lord, you can't help but worship. Just notice that when you receive Jesus, you're going to be worshiping people. You know, my desire for our church is truly on Sundays and in just different ways in our cars alone, private time, that we'd be worshiping people. That we'd say, Jesus, you've been so good. How can I not sing to you? Now the Lord has come. That he just bursts out into worship. Again, receivers of Jesus are worshipers of Jesus. They just are. And I, I do struggle with when I see many Christian leaders or many just Christians who are like never worship, never engage. Like, well, that's just not my thing, man. I'm like, that's sorry. That's everyone's thing. You're created by God and for God. You're created to worship. I understand that worship is not just singing and praise and it's a lifestyle and it's a hard attitude. I understand that absolutely. But you know what? The Bible does have a lot to say about praise. Actually, so far in Luke, Mary turns into singing, Elizabeth, Simeon, everyone's singing. There's just something about when you've truly experienced Jesus, you're going to sing. You're going to praise. I mean, we're told that in the Psalms. Like, sing all you nations. Praise, clap your hands. Like, there's an idea of you're just going to, it's going to turn into song. It just is. And, and this is what Adam, when he saw Eve for the first time, he, he like, said a poem, right? It's like, when you just see God, there's there's idea that you just turn into song. It turns into, Lord, you're so good. How could I not worship you? How could I not sing to you? Listen, please hear this, because when it comes to receiving Jesus, you take on a, posture, a heart posture of worship, of worshiping Jesus. But I, so much more than that, I, I want you to think what he received. Because he took, you could say like he took baby Jesus into his arms, but I, I think he took so much more. What did he receive in that moment? You know, I, I don't know if you've ever got something called like a statement gift, or you're like, what's a statement gift? I don't know if you've ever given or maybe received a gift that had like a negative idea kind of to it. And like it was offensive to you or to someone else and you didn't mean it to be or they didn't mean it to be. So, you know, for example, like let's just say one Christmas your friend gets you a gift and you open it up and you're like, oh, and it's like a book and it's like how not to be obnoxious. And you're like, what, is, what does this mean? Like, no, like that's like a, it's a pretty big statement, right? Or it's like, hey, lose 20 pounds in 20 ways. You're like, Am I, why do I need to lose weight? Like there's statement gifts that people give Maybe you're like thinking about it, like I've gotten a statement gift, right? People are giving you something that's like implying a lot. Uh, I made this mistake a few years ago in my marriage uh, where my wife, I remember like back in the day, she's like, oh my gosh, oh, those teeth whitening strips, those look so cool. And you know, I saw a deal right before Christmas on teeth whitening strips. I'm like, this will be a fun stocking stuffer. And so I bought her these teeth whitening strips and she's like, opened up her stocking. She's like, you bought me teeth whitening strips on Christmas? I'm like, yeah, you mentioned it. She's like, do I have bad teeth? I'm like, no, if, if anything, I have bad teeth. These are for me. Like, I didn't know what to like, you know, what do you do? Uh, when it comes to like a statement gift, there's really, a, there's something behind it. And there might be a truth behind it. Here's what I want you to see. When it comes to God giving Jesus, please, please listen. When it comes to God giving Jesus to mankind, that is a statement gift. What do I mean by that? In some ways that is offensive. Why? The whole idea of God giving Jesus to mankind, he's making a statement that you are utterly hopeless and lost without Jesus that you were dead in your sin if it wasn't for Jesus who came and broke in. You see, there's a statement gift around the birth of Jesus that says, I'm a wicked, miserable, wretched sinner, that I am completely lost and far from God. My heart is wicked above all. The statement gift is to you. God is saying, do you see how wicked and sinful your heart is? Do you see how it's bent towards selfishness and narcissism? It's about you and what you want. And really what the statement gift is, the birth of Jesus is saying, you and I were utterly wicked and lost, deprived people. Merry Christmas. God bless you guys. Like that, that, that is the message though. And that message is so needed to be preached. That is an, an important message. I don't know if you and I can ever fully Jesus' birth if we don't realize how much we needed his birth. For me to fully appreciate the birth of Jesus, I need to see how much I needed the birth of Jesus. 
I need to see that I'm a wicked person, man. I'm, I'm far from God. I'm dead in my sin. My heart is just prone to sin. It's prone to wander. Lord, I feel it. It's prone to leave the God I love. Like my heart is just bent towards sin. And I want you to hear this, church. Like there's a statement in, in God offering Jesus. And, and in some ways it should, should offend us. And, and it should be one of the good kind of offense. You know, again, like I think of it just like, imagine you get your wife like a little turquoise box. She's like, ooh, turquoise. Maybe it's Tiffany's. And she like opens it up and on and the inside it's like a little piece of paper and it's like, shh, shh I forgive you. It's like, ah, like that's a gift? You forgive me? I don't need to be forgiven. Like that would be an offensive gift. Husbands don't do that this year. Don't get your wife a piece of paper that says, I forgive you. I wouldn't encourage that. But here's the idea. This is literally the gift you and I have needed. You and I need to be right with God. And God is saying by sending his son, Jesus, you could never be right with me. You could never be right with me if it wasn't for the birth and the arrival of my son, Jesus. There is a big statement in that. Listen, Simeon, though, just receives him, man. He just takes him up in his arms. I want to encourage you. What is this whole idea of, of Advent this season? We do give gifts in, in light of Jesus' birthday, which is just a funny and interesting concept. But let's just embrace it for a second and say, you know what, Jesus, this is a season to teach me how to give, absolutely. But also, more importantly, according to you and your word, how to receive you. Like, I, in this season of Advent, need to receive I need to receive the gift of Jesus on a daily basis, who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what he offers my life, that he has come to give life and life more abundantly. And church, this is a season for us to say, Jesus, I received this gift. I'm going to take it up on my arms. I completely embrace you. I needed this gift. Listen, church, don't fight this gift. There's sometimes you are given gifts that are just so incredibly generous. You're like, I cannot receive this. This is too generous. And God is saying, you have to receive this. This is the only way. Don't fight this. Don't resist this amazing gift of that God became a man. His name is Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Do not fight that. Just embrace that. The Advent, again, is a moment for you to slow down and say, Lord, I receive the greatest gift, your son. Advent is a way for us to say, Lord, I'm going to slow down and just receive. I'm waiting, but you know what? I'm also receiving. I'm waiting on you, Lord. I will not be put to shame, but I'm also receiving you. You know, John chapter 1, verse 12, uh, John wrote this. He says, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Please hear that. John 1, 12, as many as received Jesus, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. There is, um, within the Christian faith, obviously you put your trust in Jesus, you believe in Jesus, you go to, Je you seek Jesus, but in reality, what we're told is also we, we receive Jesus, as many as receive him. That God came to me, that God pursued me. Christmas shows me that I could never find God. I could never explore the world or look through a microscope or look through a telescope. I could never go out and search far and wide and say, there's God, I found God. No, I couldn't. Christmas shows you and me that God has to reveal himself. I mean, the Christian narrative is so unbelievable because we're saying no man could ever find God. We're not claiming we found God. We're saying God came down. God came to us. God revealed himself to us and received this. Receive this. Don't fight this. You know, there was an angel who paired to Mary to give her uh, this good news. There's an angel who appeared to Joseph, her betrothed, to give her this good news. And, and there was also another angel that was used in this story to appear to uh, Zacharias about his son that he would receive named John. John the Baptist who received the way. And, and here's why I'm bringing this up. In John chapter 1 verse 13, listen to this, or Luke chapter 1 verse 13. It says, the angel said to Zacharias, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you shall call his name John. So Zacharias, who's a priest in the temple, serving God in the temple, uh, you have his wife and him uh, uh, who can't get pregnant. They're in old age. He's praying for a son. An angel says, hey, good news, Zacharias, good news. Guess what? Um, you're going to have a son. 
The, the prayer that you've been praying for, God has answered it. What does Zacharias say to this in Luke 1 verse 18? Zacharias said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. That's a nice way of saying it. And the angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. But behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. What is he saying? He goes, I'm Gabriel. God has sent me to speak to you. God has sent me to give you this message that you're gonna give birth, your wife's gonna give birth to John, the one who's gonna prepare the way for the Messiah. This is incredible news. You, you're barren. You can't have children, but you're going to have a child, and he'll prepare, prepare the way for the Messiah. And his response is, but I'm old, and my wife's old. God gave him some great news, and he did not receive it. And God goes, you're going to be mute. You're going to be mute, and you won't be able to talk again until your son's born. The reason why I'm bringing this up is God is so good, and he's given so much. God gave John and Elizabeth, uh, or Zacharias and Elizabeth John. God gave Mary and Joseph Jesus. God's given us Jesus. The point is, you see people respond differently to that. Zacharias didn't receive it right away. All these reasons. Oh, I'm old. My wife's old. There's no way. And then you see this heart posture within Simeon who just receives Jesus. And I would say, church, let's learn from this moment. God has a really good message, really good news of great joy for all people. And I'd say this, embrace this. This is good. Receive this gift of Jesus. If you've not received Jesus, receive Jesus. Trust in Jesus. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called children of God. Listen, Advent is God saying, I want, I want and I have given you the greatest gift. Receive that. Please don't fight it anymore. Don't give reasons why this gift must not be applied to you and maybe to someone else. God could never, God, listen, God has given you this beautiful gift. His name is Jesus. Advent says, slow down and start receiving. Receive. Receive all that God has for you in the person of Jesus. We wait for him, we receive. And here's like the last component or the last heart posture when it comes to Advent. Um, it's to create within all of us this spirit of longing. So we wait, we wait with expectation, we prepare. We also receive what God has for us. But let me say this, and this is so good for all of us to this day. This also should create within us this sense of longing, this deep longing, number three, longing. And here's why. There's only a small group of people who are ready for the uh, Messiah's first coming. There's only a handful of people who are like, this should be the time. The Messiah should be here. And I, I really do suggest to you that even today, there's a small group, probably a handful of people that have that same expectation and that longing for the second coming of Jesus. That, that desire of like, Jesus, I want you to come. You see, only a, a handful of people were ready, watching, receiving. And I would say, church, we need to learn from them in this moment and create a longing for the second advent. Because we also prepare our hearts for the first advent, but, but we right now in this moment say, God, prepare our hearts for the second advent, how Christ will come. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, in his book on Advent, again, a great man who suffered brutally at the hands of Nazis, who just stood up for the faith, Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, the Advent season, listen, the Advent season is a season of waiting, but our whole life, our whole life is an Advent season. That is a season of waiting for the last Advent, for the time when there will be a new heaven and a new earth. Our whole life, he says, is Advent. Our whole life is waiting for this, this moment where God comes down, where Jesus, according to Revelation 19, comes back on a white horse, ruling and reigning. Like, this is to create within us, like, God, they missed it. A lot of people missed your first advent. They weren't looking for it. There were some wise men and Anna, and there were some people, but not a lot of people were ready for this. God, help us learn from this moment, create within us a season or just a heart of just advent, 
of just, of just waiting, of longing, of looking for. It says about Anna, the prophetess, in verse 37, it, listen to this. It says, verse 37, this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but she served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that is instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. I, again, I cannot pass over her character either, but she's just serving God with fastings and prayers, just daily in the temple, daily want to be in community, daily want to be in the presence of God. She served God while she was waiting. But when she sees Jesus, when she sees Simeon hold him up and have this worship moment and just expressing to everyone, she too, it says, want to proclaim uh, to all of those who looked for redemption. So there's people there who are also looking for redemption. And I would say this church, we need to be looking for redemption, longing for redemption. Yes, that took place on the cross, but that will take place in a complete way when we're with Jesus and he's ruling and reigning. And my, my hope is this, God, prepare our hearts for the second advent. Help us learn from this moment. Help us love your appearing, Jesus. Do we love the idea that Jesus is coming? Do we long for the day that Jesus will come back and rule and reign? Is that one of those things where like you go, I cannot wait. I long for it. Not like in this escapist type of a way, like get me out of this world, it's terrible. Not just that, but just like Jesus, I wanna, I wanna see you rule and reign. I wanna see justice finally ruling and reigning. I wanna see you make peace. I wanna see everything the Bible described, the wolf and the lamb, I wanna see that take place. And is there this longing for the coming of Jesus? You know, there were few people who had that longing. I don't want to say Paul had this longing. Paul was just longing for the return of Jesus. I mean, any epistle you read, there's like a reference towards the coming of Jesus from Paul. And I want to read this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the last book Paul wrote before he's going to be beheaded. Some suggest Paul wrote this book just months before he was beheaded in Rome. So in Paul, in 2 Timothy 4 verse 7 says this, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, listen, finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Paul's like about to face death. I, I have fought the fight. I've, I've kept the faith. I finished my race. And finally, there's laid up for me this crown of righteousness, which the Lord will give to me on that day. And he goes, and not to me only, and this is key, not to me only, but to all who have loved his appearing. Church, do you hear that? There are people throughout church history who've loved the appearing of Jesus, meaning they loved, they looked forward to, they longed for the coming of Jesus. They delighted in the truth that Jesus is coming again. It brought joy to their heart. For others, maybe put fear in their heart, they despise that. I want this thing to happen in my life first, but there is a group of people in the church say, Lord, come, come quickly. Now, I'm bringing this up because Paul, right after he says this in 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, he brings up someone who didn't look for Jesus. He didn't long for Jesus, but he loved and he looked to and he longed for the world. His name was Demas. Now, listen to this. Right after Paul says this, there's, for all those who love his appearing, 2 Timothy 4, 9, it says this. Right away, he says, be diligent to come to me quickly. Why? For Demas has forsaken me. Why? Having loved this present world and has departed for Thessalonica. If you're reading this right by each other side by side, notice he's like comparing and contrasting. He goes, there are those who love the appearing of Jesus. And then there's Demas who loved the things of this world, who loved this present world. So there are those who love and look for and long for the coming of Jesus, and then there are those who just love what the world has to offer. And see, Christmas is a great revealer because you think about the season, it's like, do we love Advent? 
God has come. God is coming. Do we love Jesus, look for Jesus, long for Jesus? Or do we, like Demas, love the world? Love the gifts that can come in the moment? Like this is a great time for you, you need and you need and you want and you want. And is this a moment where you just love Jesus and you're looking for Jesus or you just love the world and the present world? See, Paul is saying there, there are people within the church, there are Demases who love things more than Jesus. They love the world more than Jesus. They love what the world has to offer more than Jesus. And, and church, this is a great temptation all of us have to be aware of. You know, John would write in 1 John 2, 15, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Please hear that. John just warns us, he goes, don't love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in you. 1 John 2, 15, he warns us to say that the world is attractive and, and Christians' hearts are prone to loving it. But if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You need to love and long for and look for the coming of Jesus, the appearing, the, the second advent of Jesus, more so than the world. And this is my hope, guys, in this season, church, is that God would create this longing and expectation and watching and excitement around the, the second coming of Jesus, the second advent. You know, the second to last verse in the Bible, really the, the last few verses, though, is Jesus saying, behold, I am coming quickly. And then John says, even so, Lord, come quickly, which I just love. He's like, I'm coming quickly. And John's like, speed it up, right? And if, how much more so today, 2,000 years later, where God's like, I'm coming quickly. John's like, okay, well, come quicker. Even so, Lord, come quickly. And really, that's like how the Bible closes out, and the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. That's the, how the Bible ends, with the coming of Jesus, with the second advent. The final revelation to man is keep looking, keep longing for. Jesus says, I'm coming quickly, and he, we say, even so, Lord, come, come quickly. Come sooner than that. Even so, Lord, speed it up. We, love to, we, we long to be with you. Church, this is a great season for us to take on the posture of longing, of looking for the second advent of like Simeon and Anna going, Lord, I long to see the Christ. I long to be with him. So here's what we see with Advent. And I would actually encourage you right now, why don't you even bust your candles out? You can pull those out. You can grab those. Uh, I have a few here. I'm, I don't know if I'm gonna try to light them because that might be bad. Um, but put your candles out. And I would say, this is a moment for us to say, Jesus, I am waiting. I am waiting. I wait with expectation and joy. I will not be put to shame. I'm waiting like Simeon and Anna. I'm taking on the heart posture of serving. Jesus, I'm receiving. I receive what you've done for me. I receive the finished work of the cross. I receive the truth that I'm a filthy, wretched sinner who's far from you, and I would never be in heaven. I'd never be in your presence. I'd never be reconciled to you, God. If it wasn't for the person of Jesus breaking in in that form of an infant, I would never be reconciled to you. I'm utterly hopeless and lost without you but I'm way more loved than I ever imagined. And so just let this create a, a sense of receiving. I receive Jesus, what you have for me, the person of Jesus. And then lastly, let this create within you a longing, a longing to look for and to be with Jesus, a longing for Jesus, like Revelation 19 says, to come, to rule and reign. Like Revelation says, even so, Lord, come quickly. This is what Advent is. Advent is that reminder of waiting, of receiving, of longing. Now, here's these candles, because in the church, like I said, would put them out. There's always four Sundays leading up to Christmas. They'd put these candles out, and they'd light one for uh, hope, for peace, for love, for joy. 
And just a reminder that hope has come in the person of Jesus. He offers us peace, which we'll look at this, uh, this Thursday night on Christmas Eve, that Jesus is love embodied and he's joy given to all of mankind. And you light these candles and say, Jesus, this is only found and reflected in you. And so here's what I mentioned. Go to the website, download the leader guide. You can read through what to do, but I would say light these and we just have a prayer. You pray over this. You pray over the season. You pray over the season of waiting, of receiving, of longing. And I would say have a discussion about this. God wants to do something, I think, really unique in the church. Embrace this beautiful Christian tradition of Advent where we can slow down our pace, reflect on Christ's coming and how he came and how he will come and take in all that God has for us in this moment. And I also want to encourage you as we just close out on Christmas Eve, please be a part, please be present. Please come. Uh, Please sing with us, celebrate with us. Let's talk about peace. Let's talk about the idea that peace is offered to us today and its future as well. It's the already here and not yet. Come be a part of what God wants to do that night. I'm excited for some of those traditions we've established a few years ago. And it's just one of those, it's just things that kind of just bring, I guess, unity and tradition. And uh, I'm just looking so forward to that on Christmas Eve. And so I wanna encourage you guys to be a part of that. And not only that is, listen, we talked about receiving and listen, if, if this is your home church, the exchange, I know it's bizarre being away and not in person, but man, we have freely received. We have freely received the gift of Jesus, the person of Jesus. And the scriptures say this, freely you have received, freely give. I would encourage you in this season of Advent, as you receive the finished work of Jesus to give, I would encourage you to give, to give generously, to give out of your income of what God has done for you, to give out of your lack, like so many people who have, there's something about saying, Jesus, you've given, how can I not give? God, you've given to me so much, how can I not give? And I know, again, we're not in person. It's one of those things where this is not your home church. I'm not talking to you. You're a guest. We're, we're so glad you're tuning in with us. But Advent is a beautiful moment for the church to say, God, you've given so much. It's a privilege for me to give to you. God, you so love the world you gave. And I so love you, I'm gonna give. And give to the local church and give to what God is doing and what's happening this year in 2021, what's coming up, just giving to overall the gospel of Jesus. I'm just saying this is a beautiful moment to do that. I would just highly encourage you to not just buy gifts for family and what a beautiful thing, buy gifts for those in need, absolutely, but also to give and to give to Jesus. To say, Jesus, you've given so much. And listen, also, I just want to encourage you guys, like I said, as, as Simeon, as Anna, be in that community, be present, be waiting, be receiving, be longing, be present, like to make, make Christmas so much more than, but our family's traditions are all about, the, like incorporate Jesus, obviously, the one who it's primarily about, like I would say if you can, please make this your tradition of being in community on Christmas Eve. This is the whole point of the season, not just great meals, great family, great gifts, It's around the person of Jesus. So be with us on the 24th. I can't wait to see what the Lord's gonna do. But God bless you guys. I love you. I'm gonna pray it out. And then I'm gonna let you guys get to your discussion. So let me just pray for you. Father, we thank you. We love you. Jesus, you are truly the greatest gift. We receive you, Jesus. As Simeon, we just wanna snatch you up. We we say, we receive this gift, God. Thank you. Let it turn into worship, God. Let it turn into a heart of service. Father, I ask that you just do something within our church community that would prepare our hearts for your second advent, that we would not diminish that truth. Jesus, you are coming again, and even so we ask, come quickly. Lord, how we just want to be with you. In your presence, there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so, Jesus, we look to you. 
And God, I ask that you just be with families, with friends, with people watching this right now in their homes. God, that the focus and attention would be on you. In your beautiful and precious name, Jesus. Amen.